You're listening to Social Media Unlocked, episode number 17. It's time we had an honest conversation about social media. This is Heather Pink, your host of Social Media Unlocked. After spending years producing TV and running social media for the NFL, I started my own social media consulting agency. And well, I want to talk and teach more about social media. Through each podcast, I hope to bring you a new perspective on social media through influencers, brands, content creators, and more. So that way it can help you with your personal brand, your brand's content, collaborations, and well, just being more knowledgeable about social media. As we stand in early May of 2020, we've spent almost half of the new year amidst the COVID-19 crisis. Have you noticed some brands step up? Have you noticed some brands have stayed particularly quiet? How brands have communicated through this time is none other than social media. Of course, a great company has an all-encompassing marketing plan, but on the forefront of the eyes of consumers, in a way to stay on top of a daily lifestyle... A company's social media is a reflection of how they've been handling the coronavirus and what they're doing right now. If you're someone that's sitting there and you are not in the C-suite of a company, now is the time that many have questioned with reason, what does my company stand for? Why aren't they saying something? Or maybe I wish to be at a company that has more of a bolder stand on helping people. It takes courage to step beyond the revenue that your company is going to be making to think about what's best for society, especially during this time. I thought the perfect person for this podcast subject during this time is a friend and founder of the Change Consultancy, Courageous Brands, and also author of the book Return on Courage, Ryan Berman. I hope this episode inspires you to make change with more courage as Ryan drops some knowledge on this episode of Social Media Unlocked. What's up? What's up? <laughs> um, <laughs> me and Ryan met, what is it now, almost a year ago? Just about this time last year, right? It's, I, honestly, it's, I know for a fact it's 12, it's 13 months because I had a buddy that was like, hey, come up and speak in LA with me at this conference. I'm like, no, no, no. The way Digital Summit does it is if you, if you hit a market, you got to take a, a year off. Of course, it looks like everybody took a year off, so... <laughs> COVID. COVID. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me here. If you guys don't know him, he is the founder of the Change Consultancy Courageous Brands, along with the founder of their own Courage brand, Sock Problems. I mean, right now, I feel like is or should be Courageous is time to shine because now is the time that companies really need to showcase what they're about. Yeah, and and we're seeing that with uh, many of the inbound calls that we're getting, which is good to see. And you know, look, look, this is nobody asked for this, and nobody wanted this. Um, but what's happening is the world will be different coming out of this. And what is that world going to look like? And what's the role that your company is going to play in that? And if you're going to talk about the need to change, you, you, there needs to be some level of courage um, to to make that change. And so, yeah, we're, we're feeling, I mean, right now we're working with General Mills and Nestle over in Europe about what does change look like over there. And we, we just did a project with your old, old um, employee, NFL with Caesars Entertainment. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting Six weeks, it's not, I've had zero time off. Where was my break? I thought we were going to get a break. No. I mean, in sports, I've learned that time off doesn't really exist anymore because working at the NFL, 
um, you get less and less time because there's more and more things on the calendar, more and more things that you want to do. But with, so for people that are new to the concept of courage, because you really opened my eyes when I first heard you talk, and that's why I went up to you afterwards, introduced myself. Um, how does a company sort of either embody the courage to want to change or is it something um, or maybe just explain sort of the premise of um, your guys's uh, courage brand company? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, look, I never in a million years, if you're like predict where you're going to be in a decade, did you, did you think I would think that I would write a book? First of all, I'm the least qualified person in my family to write a book. Therefore that's why I wrote the book, I guess. So the book is called return on courage. Um, it was a devious attempt, honestly, to market my last creative agency. We were 70 people living uh, based in Fish Taco Land called San Diego. And I was just trying to figure out a way to compete against your market, Los Angeles, um, and New York. Um, you know, what do you think of when you think of creative solution partners? And I think when you're based in San Diego, you have to be better. You can't be even. You know, a lot of markets probably resonate with that resonates with. If you're in Nashville, if you're in Austin, you're in Portland, like I feel like you have to be better because if it's even, the easy choice is to go with the big market. So this was uh, this all started honestly as a as a way for me to position my last business. And I did love the concept of courage brands, and I wasn't really sure what it meant. I love how it sounded. Um, when I looked at our work, it really was always the courageous idea that was moving the needle for a client. We've, we're on record saying courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. And when you have competitors that look different, and what I mean by that is media obesity is your competitor. Maslow now is your competitor. Um, by the way, a conversation with your significant other is a competitor. Time is a competitor. It's not the same competitive set as it once used to be of just the team, the people in your vertical. The So I go on this journey and the, the joke's on me, right? The joke basically is I wrote the book to position the company and everything I, I learned from sitting with Apple and Google and Amazon, Method Soap, Harvard, uh, Royal Caribbean, um, astronauts, Navy SEALs, tornado chasers, people that you think of when you think of courage, and then neurosurgeons, clinical psychologists, immunologists, Cambridge PhDs, people that study the way that we're wired. I went to television radio school, so I had no idea how we, how we operate. Um, and you throw all that in the soup and you come out the other side with a better understanding of what it takes to stay relevant. And that's really all, all this conversation is about. It's like, you know, if you're at a company that is squeezing the sponge and is just trying to grab every ounce of a revenue stream that's dwindling versus putting a plan in place to courageously pivot forward into a new revenue model or opportunity. So to me, that's the big joke is I went on this journey, wrote the book. Everything I learned along the way was like, oh, no. I have to fire myself. I'm actually leaving my own company. And you can imagine that conversation with my business partners who also funded this book. When I went in there and was like, look, I think it's time for me to leave. Um, 
And so when you write a book about courage, you kind of have to live the premise. <laughs> and so that was in 17. And uh, I had to sit on the sidelines to use a sports metaphor because of a non-compete till January 19. And then um, launched the book, Return on Courage in 19, launched Courageous. And we were more like a special forces version of a consultancy. I think most consultancies are make are really good at making you think. Um, we're more in the not only make you think, but make you feel. And hopefully do. I mean, because without the without the feeling, I would say no feel, no deal. If you don't move somebody, there's no emotional movement, then good luck on changing behavior. Yeah. And I mean, and when a company embodies this change, it has to come from the top all the way down. It has to go from the marketing and especially to the social media, right? Yeah. I just think it's really hard to make change without the leaders on board. Now it doesn't mean, I didn't say the C-suite, really big companies. There are leaders that are just trying to move their tribe forward and they have, they've got budget and they've got some influence. So there are ways where you don't have to be the C-suite. I mean, look, it's hard to outsource culture. (laughs) You know, at the top, if we don't believe in it, it's really hard to abide by values if if you don't think the C-suite is abiding by those values. But yeah, what, what we come up with in with the values that should trickle into the marketing plan, of course, comes to life in social media. In fact, if you're not using your values, I mean, this is just my take, Heather. Honestly, like, I challenge all of my clients, like, are your values real or, or not? Are they, in some ways, you should be using them as content buckets yeah. for, your, for, your, for your values. I'm not going to maybe call anybody out, per se, or maybe I don't want to ask you, but through this time, have you seen companies that, like, maybe hasn't shown their values and you can tell? You know, like, I, I wish this company would have done this, maybe just because you're a fan of the company? This time is this time. This time <laughs> is this COVID time. This time's no? COVID time. It's 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 COVID time. Um, you know, I don't think anyone gets anywhere from calling company out, as you perfectly stated. What I will say is, if you're a leader or you want to get better, and I can't imagine you're if you're listening to this show, it's because you want to you want to be better. So, like that's that alone is we're on our way. Whether you're a leader or a future leader, we're on our way. If you haven't thought about your values once in the last eight weeks, you have the wrong values. If you're at a company that hasn't expressed the values to you or you rolled your eyes at the values, they're the wrong values. And so to me, every decision that I'm making for courageous, um, and by the way, I have my own personal core values too, where I spend my time is in direct alignment with the values that I, we have for our company. And why would you spend your time on anything else? Like To me, this is the time to get really, really clear on what matters for you and bring it forward to the market. So one of the things that we deal with a lot is working with those social media managers. And I know you know this. We try to bridge some of that gap of conversation between the upper managers and the social media managers. So I actually asked a friend of mine, I said, if they had the chance to talk to you, what would they ask? And the one thing was, I'm a manager or I'm in a position that maybe doesn't have this VP title. And I know that my company needs to grow. They should have bolder values. Like how can I try to inspire change or what can I do? You know, it's so funny. I I don't know if you saw the, I just posted this on LinkedIn and 
the this this will the CMO. Think, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm going here. So, I think we need a makeover on CMO because I think for whatever reason, people think the chief marketing officer is nothing more than the mouthpiece for the company, right? And C-suite's like, go get go go get us customers, go amplify and go get us comp customers, and. They're, the CMO is also the eyes and ears of the company. They're, they're reporting back. They're the ones on the front line with what's really going on with the needs of your customers or future customers. So they should be inspiring internal conversations about product or innovation. Um, it's a two-way street. And I, I, feel, I feel bad for many marketers that are in organizations that are treated like go get us customers and that's it. I think it's a lack of respect, frankly. And if, if you're in a company right now, if you're a leader of a company and you're listening, I would really rethink really how you're utilizing your marketing team because they they're the they should be the best listening function you have as well, not just with your stories, but with your actual products. So if I'm your friend, the one thing I do is don't ask for permission. Just start re providing a report, a weekly report, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing from our customer. This is what's working in social. Here's what it means to our product team. Here's what it can mean to our innovation team. Don't wait. Don't wait for something that's not coming your way. Just start creating the change that you want. And what happens is if you create that behavior and you train people to, to expect something from you, okay, you send something out one Friday, then you send it out the next Friday and the next Friday and the next Friday, you're going to start to gain influence. And meanwhile, even if, okay, let's say you're a company that you're just not aligned with the leadership. Fine. You're at least building the skill for you to take with you to wherever you go next. So you can make the influence, create the influence that you want while also working on your point of view. Yeah. It's funny that you said that because that's what, um, I guess without even thinking, that's what me, my now business partner did at the NFL. We, were given the NFL fantasy handles. I guess I'm not given. I asked. I went up to my manager. And I said, no one's really taking this opportunity. And uh, my old, old boss, she said, go ahead, do it. Just make sure you can do your work on top of that. And then when people were seeing that um, the social media handles were getting more viewership and, you know, uh, at times more engagement than the shows themselves sometimes, then the value started changing, but it changed by me staying super late at the office every Monday night after the game was over with to, you know, fulfill a, a metrics email that turned into an, eventually a department. So well, there you go. I mean, this is, this is exhibit a, and you know, even, even the way, I mean, the, one of the bigger insights that I loved is wait a minute. How is it that the bite itself gets more engagement than the show? So maybe start turning the bites into the shows. Start treating them like shows. You know, there's a there reason was, Quibi, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Quibi at this point, correct? Of course, yeah. What's your what do you think about Quibi? <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Jinx. I know, I think we're aligned. I think they had a really bad timing. I think it's just, we want to escape, but I don't want to escape for only eight minutes right now to be reminded of life to then escape again for eight minutes. I want to binge like the Godfather trilogy to escape, you know? So uh, I feel a little, I feel, I think it's almost, and then the, the production value side, do we really, are we really like asking for high production value stuff? 
No, I mean, I'm almost exactly with you. I think that, and we tried talking to other people, like you don't need high production value sometimes to create good social or to create a buzz. And I think that the thing that we need right now is TikTok, which we already have. And it's something that's so organic and that's the perfect realm. And I think that Quibi should have either moved, should have seen what was happening and moved it up to the start of quarantine, or they should have just pushed it until maybe when we were coming out of it, when we start getting back into our quote unquote normal lives, but it will be different. I completely agree. And um, I think it's really easy to sit here and hate on it. You know, I think that's what most people do anyway. Right. So, you know, I still like the premise. I like the premise of, well, there's so much content. Do we need any more content? Okay. Is there so much content that it allows us to find the most premium talented directors who can break through that or actors we want to follow or comedians we want to follow. And then how do they earn their day on Quibi? Okay. It could work. Yeah. Let's let's revisit this conversation in two years. I mean, it's kind of the whole notion of influencers, right? Is okay. You see a lot of followers or you see that traction, you see the, the viewership numbers, but every time a brand pairs up with an influencer, it's kind of like a new whole social experiment all over again. You don't know whether or not you're going to get sales or you're going to get engagement, um, those types of things. I was going to ask, um, it's on my list of questions about influencers because you kind of mentioned it. I wanted to get your viewpoint on influencers and their sort of relationship to either courage brands or them being their own courage brand. Well, I think, uh, Prior to COVID, I might have had a different answer. So I recognize, I recognize that as things change, like your, your take on things change. So I, I have a real hard time with influencers that don't really have influence. What have you done? Um, but clearly, if they're trusted, if they have their little tribe, and now more than ever, if we – and we're also stressed out. So whatever you need for your medicine, your remedy, if that's a nostalgic influencer that you've been following that gives you what you need, lights you up, makes you laugh. Okay, cool. You know, nothing wrong with that. Um, so you know, do you recommend when you're talking to clients, do you recommend imp- like working with influencers or is that like a lower tier among all the tiers of the things that you'd want to do with them? I, I think activating influencers is a tactic, um, not a strategy, but it's a good one. <laughs> and I'm not trying to hate on it, you know? I no, it, totally. You know, I just think it's where we spend our time is really thinking through what's what's the courageous idea here? And then how do you right-size that courageous idea so it can actually play and live in all the places it needs to play? I mean, now more than ever, there are so many arenas for fragmented storytelling. But if you treat it like a mosaic and each little component makes up a bigger story, you're not wasting people's time. What I don't really see anymore are great stories even with like A-B testing, the, the computer's only as good as the inputs. So great. Of the four average inputs, this is the best one you're iterating off of. So I, I find like this is a time right now where we're all, we're, we're all at home and we're, we've been given permission 
to finally think a little bit. Um, advice before COVID for me was, hey, less think, more do. Don't get caught in your head. Get your message out there. Iterate off that idea and then follow the path. I think now it's actually less do, more think. I'm with Don't, you on that one. Yeah, this is the time to really think through what's the idea? What's the story? What do we want to be known for? Is it big enough? Is it galvanizing enough? Is it honest enough? So if I was going to hate on a brand doing something right now, which I'm not going to do, it's when you see that commercial, like when I watched the Jordan documentary, which is awesome. It's awesome. Bravo on like 25 years of holding that back. Uh, and then you see an ad that you're like, nope, nope, didn't do it. Didn't do it. Actually worked against you. So I, I think that's the hard part is really thinking through how do you create true preference? It's not about awareness, right? It's like, how do you create preference with somebody with the right note, the right message? Um, and by the way, it has to work internal. So if you've got a Wizard of Oz issue and you're like, don't go behind the Wait, curtain. Wait, what do you mean Wizard of Oz issue? The Wizard of Oz issue is when you basically tell the outside world something with your big booming voice, but behind the curtain, it's a completely different thing. And when you finally peek behind the curtain, which usually we're not allowed to as consumers, you're like, this is it. Now, if you work at a place behind a curtain where you're telling the world something, but internally it's exact opposite, are you going to stick around? I mean, coming out of this, Realistically, I'm sure we're all afraid on if we can go grab another job, like what's really going to open up. So I do think there'll be more loyalty, but I also think the, 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 the wise ones are having the conversation with them now. How meaningful of, of the work are you doing? Is it really purpose-driven? I think purpose-driven gets a bad rap, but like, are you galvanized? Do you have conviction for the work you're doing? You know, if you, if not, it's only a matter of time and the cost to replace somebody, especially somebody talented, those numbers add up. So if I'm leading a company, like now is the time to get our story straight and prioritize it by getting it right on the inside before amplifying it to the outside. Have you worked with a company where you've had to be the bad guy and sort of like really question their purpose? I think most companies have it wrong or have work to do or they're just not authentic or it doesn't move people. So, or they phone it in and it's too generic. So, you know, I always say it's not enough to know your why you got to have a rally cry in that. Why? What's the rally cry? Why are people going to stick around for you? We talk, you know, to tears about your why, know your why, find your why. I think we have to elevate that thinking now. If you're going to give 12 hours a day, you're, you're a great example, right? Clearly doing just fine. Worked at a great company, great brand. And we're not going to go there. We're not going to go delve into the, <laughs> that experience. But like, you, you know, I, I'm sure as scary as it is to be an entrepreneur, which takes courage, it lights you up to be able to have a shot to at least come to the plate and do it the way you want to do it. And I, I, I bet that you have, maybe, I don't know if you can articulate it perfectly, but like, because I have never really asked you, I don't want to put you on the spot. Since I'm you can, in, you I'm sure now, can. I'm now interviewing you, right? So this is, this is an honest conversation. Right. So 
you know, when you think about your purpose, what's your purpose? You know, I had thought about that so much because when I was at the NFL and I was so miserable, there was months where I was just so depressed and miserable and my friends, they did everything they could to entertain me and keep me distracted because they didn't know how to push me outside of my bounds. And, but I kept saying to myself, this is not what I should be doing. And the little things I were doing, like that metrics email I just mentioned, that was something that I knew was I would make a difference to help mm-hmm. that brand in the long run. And when I started doing more things like that, the things that I was super passionate about, some upper managers could care less. Some of them took notice. But for the most part, the things that I was saying, they didn't end up getting noticed because you kind of have to have politics with a lot of these big corporate brands. And after a while, I said, my purpose is is to do bigger, better things, which is hard to say, right? I worked for the NFL. What bigger company could you possibly work for? But at the same time, it's I could touch more people and help more people with their brands. And I felt like that was my purpose. And my business partner, he feels the same way. He still works for a big brand. Is that you know, there are so many learns that you can take from these big brands. And honestly, we've learned mostly from failures or from failed leadership. That's the hard part. Yeah, I was on a podcast earlier this week. Someone called it the F word, <laughs> which I loved. The F what, word. Failed Failure. leadership? Failure. Right? That's the F word in business. And we're so afraid to fail. Or we're disappointed when a leadership fails us. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part because there's expectations. There's, And it's not so much expectations with your job, but it's also with another person that I had that same situation where um, I was excited to work for this person um, and really everything was a huge letdown. And it ended up being someone that I didn't even recognize. I didn't want to, I, and I still would never want to be associated with because of what a poor leader they were. And I was leading the team of these younger people that wanted to learn more, wanted to do more. Um, and I was sort of helping step, you know, even if it's a little task here one day and a little task here another day, um, helping them grow. But me, I wasn't growing. And I know a lot of people have that problem is not having that realization that I'm not growing, mm-hmm. but I'm helping my company. And sometimes it's that hard balance of like, well, does it really matter? If you're not growing and you're not happy or you don't have a purpose, you know? Well, again, I don't think it needs to be every moment of every day. That you totally. Should, yes. You know, checks yes, and balances. Yes. But I mean, my gut tells me the advice you didn't want to hear is you're still healing from that experience. And what a surprise. It doesn't, it doesn't go away easy. It's like, it's like a breakup and uh, it takes a while for the breakup to, to heal, but you'll always remember this, how that person made you feel. And um, the adage, right? You join companies, you leave managers. So what are you, what are you going to do about making sure you don't do the same things that person did? And I can tell you, I, I remember my, <laughs> the most, the least effective boss I ever had. And like with just the amount of looking around the office versus giving me attention, who's walking around. I'm like, hello, can we focus here? And like, I'm trying to do my job and can you focus and make me better here as well? Like, and, and what can I do to help make you look good? But that's what it just, it just didn't work. I'll never forget that person. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I don't ever want to be that person. And it, and it makes you, I'm the exact same way. And I push myself harder. Like I might've had old tendencies because um, I was literally talking. It's funny what you just said. I had two instances in the last maybe 12 to 24 hours. One yesterday was talking with an old um, talent at the NFL network. She used to work there, no longer does. And there used to be this sort of environment where the females weren't really close to the females because they had this, oh, well, they may take my spot or this and that, where it's just, that's just bullshit, you know? And it's just, everyone needs to work together. Um, and that's kind of how I got the way, the, the way that I ended up moving up the rankings because I didn't really care. I don't care. Girl, guy, doesn't matter. If you know your stuff, you know your stuff. But also at the same time, I was also a product sometimes of failed leadership that I would keep learning and learning, learning. And if my direct manager wasn't teaching me, I would, that doesn't, that didn't stop me from wanting to learn. I would go to, Hey, I'm going to go to this person to learn this or start doing one-on-ones with him. Cause I was starting to, you know, not give feedback. And one of my clients said to me this morning, he's like, I really think that th- there's just as many people in this world that, um, don't like as a manager, aren't doing their job that then they are spending time impressing their bosses because they want to look good. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that's crazy. Well, and again, it's everyone's, you can't help how certain people are going to handle situations. You, all, all you can do is do exactly what you did, which is focus on yourself. And that means you kind of have to know who you are, by the way. Um, and I can tell you the first 15 years of, business for me, I'm not sold. I didn't know who I was. I was New York city agency playing the game, working my way up the ladder. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties. It happened. And I'm, <laughs> someone once said, um, it takes you 40 years to figure out who you are and the next 40 to be that person. Now you're fast tracked. So this isn't for you, but you know, maybe this is something to leave the, your listeners with, you know, I had a real problem with the dictionary definition of courage. It's, if you look at the dictionary, the definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. I'm like, who, who wants to do that? Who really wants to do that? Especially at work, right? So instead we please our bosses. We, we do what they ask so we don't get fired. And um, so we look good. So hopefully we, we make friends and move up the ladder. But I'm like, you know, when I actually need courage, the last thing I'm thinking about is I want to do something that's frightening. And so, and now that I had, you know, come to that conclusion, I've got to battle myself on, well, who am I to question the dictionary definition of courage? That's a bit presumptuous too. But my first six months working on the book was, okay, if I'm going to define what a courage brand is, I have to better understand courage. And I came out the other side with a definition I think anyone can use in real time. And keep me honest, you've heard this before, but keep me honest as you keep, you know, growing your company. You know, my definition of courage is a bit algebraic. It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. And, you know, in business, you're never going to have every bit of knowledge you need to make a call. In fact, if you sit there and wait and collect your data and collect your data, which you're never going to have a hundred percent of the data. If you do, it's like 2029 and you've been passed, which is why you need faith. And, um, 
to me, faith is not this religious version. It's the inner belief version. It's the, it's the collection of all my experiences that makes me have this intuition version. And then how many times have you known what you should do and you feel like it's the right thing and you just can't even bring yourself to action? Or maybe you work for failed leadership and as much as you try to convince them, they don't want to take that shot. So to me, that's, that's not courage. You know, the irony is knowledge plus faith plus action. It needs to be all three to be courageous. Knowledge and faith without action is paralysis. And faith and action without knowledge, to me, is reckless, right? And then, by the way, I think knowledge and action without faith, if you're numb on the inside, if you're just through the motions, you're working on status quo. You're working yeah. on safe. And um, so it has to be all three. I know you worked – so. Writing this book, creating this definition, you got to interview amazing people and amazing companies. Is there something that's maybe outside of the your definition of courage from you know the Amazon, Apple, Google, um, Caesars Entertainment, any of these? Like, is there any like lessons that you think are really valuable for um, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're someone working at, at a corporate company that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. So. The biggest, the biggest thing is really ask yourself, one, are you aligned? Are you aligned with the decision makers? You know, I don't, I don't know your audience well enough, Heather, to know, like, are they just coming up? Are they in the middle? Are they entrepreneurs that are running their own show? If you're on the younger side, what I would say is, and I wish someone would have given me this advice by the way, which I didn't have. Awesome. <laughs> when you go looking for your next job and you're interviewing, you're not interviewing for a job. You're interviewing for a mentor. The questions that you should be asking them is to identify mentorship opportunities. And if the interviewer looks, like, looks at you like you've got 12 heads, run. Run from the hills. I know it's hard to cut bait, but just by you turning the tables and you're now not interviewing and trying to, you know, show how great you are, or whatever it is that you're doing, the fact that you're asking intelligent questions about a path for you to grow, it's not about you adding value anymore. It's about like, what can they do for you as well? I think is critical. And there's ways to do that where it doesn't come off like a hubris thing. It comes off as you know, you want to make sure that you have an opportunity for personal development. You can, or professional uh, development. Maybe if you would have looked at the NFL gig, I'm making this up clearly, and you interviewed it for, from a, what's the mentorship program look like? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. Well, that shows them how you think. So to, for one, it's, it's you, you call the shots, understand the values of the company, but also understand your own personal core values. And if anybody hasn't run themselves through a personal core values assessment. And by the way, like maybe 1% of the population can do it. Email me, email me at Ryan Berman at couragebrands.com and I will send it to you for free. Happy to do it because this is the biggest issue is that we, we haven't done the hard work on ourselves. Think what about on the Heather pink brand? Sorry, I'm using you as a Guinea pig here. Go ahead. Let's do it. Use me as the Guinea pig. So if you had out, you know, 12 hours a day to work on the Heather pink brand, well, then who are you really? What are you really about? How are you actually wired? You know, I always uh, talk about Jerry Maguire. 
in my keynotes. I don't know if I talked about Jerry. And- I think you did. Yeah. Okay. So there were three. Jerry Maguire was like the movie of my generation. So again, remember I'm over 40. No, it's not in black and white. It was in color. Um, no subtitles. And there were three huge lines in Jerry Maguire. Number one, show me the money. Good line. Anyone have an issue with that line? Yeah, we, yeah, this is a good one. Show me the money. I'm valuable. Show me the money. Two was, you had me in hello. That was a sweet one. You know, it kind of defrosted us. We kind of needed that. And then the third line was, you complete me. And I think you complete me, excuse my French, completely fucked my entire generation. Because I, I don't think that, I don't believe in, in you complete me. You know, I believe in me complete me. And I think we don't do the hard work to understand why we're wired the way we are. And, you know, have we actually figured out who our, our core values are? By the way, I love my wife. We're married, but she doesn't complete me. She compliments me. And we love each other for who we are, all of our imperfections the way we are. Well, brands are the same way. They're imperfect too. They should start acting that way. And for yourself, like really try to understand what's this makeup? How did you become the person that you are? Playfulness is my number one core value, by the way. I know that's really surprising to you, Heather. Zero percent. Zero percent. I mean, when I first met Ryan, Ryan was delivering his um, keynote session wearing no shoes. I'll never forget that. And it leaves a lasting impression. Yeah, we were wearing pink, uh, pink socks, I believe. Uh, so I, I can't call, remember. I call them sock talks. It's a little bit of a shameless promotion for sock problems, you know, but when you have a sock company, I guess that's one way you, you, you do it. And for those who don't know, um, sock problems is a sock company that socks problems in the world where we're actually partnering with about 14 different charities. And if you wanted to sock inequality or sock racism, sock breast cancer, we probably have a sock for you. I think so. I think you guys have basically most of the big ones covered, if not all of them, if, and more. I know you guys have one for like dog adoption yeah. too, like really good core values. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually working on, I mean, we still have not figured out what we're doing for COVID. Um, it's really about finding the right partner that we can give the proceeds back to. And where we're different than most give one, get ones is we give targeted cash back. I'm, I am not an expert in socking problems. I'm a storyteller, but our partners are experts. And so if we can send targeted cash back to them for them to do what they do. Well, that sounds good to me. I saw that you are, you're a big Redskins fan. I saw huge, huge Redskins fan. Oh, I'm for you one. Know, I'm so sorry. I know it's um, been brutal. Well, listen, you don't have to edit this part out. I mean, it's, it, I, it's pain. It's if it's anything, it's just loyalty. I'm a bears fan. So I don't know whether or not, I mean, it's better, but to a certain extent, I don't know how much better though. I don't think it's better. I can't stand. I mean, I was telling a story to um, one of my clients this morning about when we drafted Mitch Trubisky, uh, how just upset I was. Oh, oh, when you actually draft him. So you've known this for a while that this was a mistake. I've known from the moment. I anybody anybody that likes numbers in sports, which should be most to all people, and I'll never forget this. Literally, Mr. Trubisky came to the NFL only having played 13 NCAA games. You realize this is not good news for me. Because <sighs> Dwayne mean? Haskins is 
less than I, but the thing is, is Dwayne Haskins, like he performed at a high level. Like you're talking about, I'm talking about 13 games in the ACC and not even winning all of them. Like, you you know what I'm saying? It's only he went 13 and 0 and he like, you know, blew Clemson out of the water when Trubisky played. Like that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Like Dwayne Haskins actually like had a great mentor, right? He had a great coach. He played at at an esteemed university, right? At least he has that behind him where Mitch had none of that. Look, I think you should definitely have this as part of the podcast. Okay, I really do. I, I mean, because if someone's still listening anyway, that says so much about them, which is awesome. But honestly, that that comment about mentorship and leadership and 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 also my favorite part about that statement is that there's so many people right now that use data to cover their tail. I call it sort of CYA, DYA. I'm like, oh, there goes another DYA person just <laughs> covering their ass with data. And I'm like, the numbers never lie because you can make the numbers appear as anything. So the fact that you were like, look, here's two guys, one 13 games, one probably 13 games, right? Maybe 12, 11. But one played <laughs> Wake Forest every weekend and one clearly didn't. Um, and – What's also cool is as a Redskin fan, you gave me like a little bit of confidence, like a little bit of hope. There you go. That, okay, you know? okay. Maybe Haskins is our guy. Well, I clearly am going to root for him. I'm definitely all, all, all in on the skins. Yeah. One of my favorite players, um, and I actually had the chance to meet him, was – do you remember Alfred Morris? Of course. I had him on my fantasy team that year, and then, you know, he did so well, and I got to meet him at NFL Honors, and I was like – I had you in my fantasy team and you're like the reason why I ended up winning. He was like, do you have a picture of the trophy? Awesome. You know, like such a nice, such a nice guy. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to meet a lot of other Redskins because they really haven't been good since then. But um. <laughs> this is where our podcast concludes. No, I agree. Look, we are who we are, but you know, life is to me, it's very much just about the expectation bar and like, did you hit it? Beat it? or not. And so as a Bears fan, it's been a sad, gosh, 20, 30, how many years since 85? What, carry the two, 35 years. Wow. 30. Were you born for this? No. no. Uh, I was, but I was for the Bulls. So that the Bulls stuff, that's what one excites me too. I mean, I've had so many conversations about the last dance this week, but if you've worked in Chicago sports at any point in your life, and you have had relationships with people that have worked. This is not new news to you. Some people are like, oh, my God, did you know that Jerry broke up? The blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I did. Like, I, I you know, I've, anybody that I've talked to, I have a bull shirt that I carry almost everywhere. I wear it with some of my blazers. And I literally have been a lifelong fan. But there are some things you'll never forget. And, like, that is lifelong heartbreak. So I have to, I have to like uh... – I got to give you one more story and then, and then I got to roll. Yeah. Yeah. You'll appreciate this. So I have a very good friend, (laughs) his nickname to me, I call him hater because if he's not hating on you, he actually hates you. (laughs) And he's, he's a Chicago sports fan. So he's, he's Cubs. He's, he's bulls. He's bears. He's all your people. And, um, and I also call him the staple easy button because it's just too easy to get him. And so, and I remember I'm from DC so I'm Caps, Terps, Redskins, and that also means I'm a Wizards fan, which is embarrassing. Yes, it does. So, but with him, I'm like, I can't believe they finally launched this awesome documentary about 
Washington Wizards, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. And he's just, it, it just gets him so much. I'm like, the big three, Popeye Jones, Michael Jordan, and Brendan Hayward, big three. We're, I'm sure episode six or ten will be about his time shining, almost getting us to the second round in the playoffs. Which is funny because one of my clients was like, I feel like this Tom Brady stuff is coming the same time as his bull stuff because it's like this Tom Brady move is exactly like when Jordan went to Washington because no one's going to ever remember it. No, everybody remembers it. Again. As a blip, as a like a. No, no. Again, I can't imagine episodes three through 10 aren't the the years in D.C. Reviving our organization. (laughs) Choosing Kwame Brown as the first pick. I mean, those were the God. glory. America remembers this, right? I remember it. I mean, like, what is going on? It's I like mean, seriously, drunk. the fact that I have to call them the Wizards, stop talking about the Redskins name. Let's change the <laughs> Wizards name. Like, it's not good. Ryan, thank you so much. Um, dropping knowledge, as always. I know this episode is probably one of my favorites, if not, like, my favorite just all right i made the podium (laughs) mostly because i love you and i love your brand and i love how much it embodies and i just love the fact that it pushes people um out of what i think their normal element is that they should be thinking more about this and i know that when i started thinking more about myself my values it was the like best medicine i could possibly have i think that's the best endorsement you could give and i you know how i feel about you so Anytime I can work with you, I'm down, and I, I support what you're doing for you. And, you know, if you ever need me, and you, you already know I'm going to reach out to you when I need you. <laughs> I know that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Media Unlocked. Please take a moment to review this podcast in the iTunes store. If you want to learn more about me and my social media experience, go to www.heather.pink or find me on Instagram at heatherpink27. And if you're looking for help in creating a social media department or building a social media brand, my consulting agency Pink Deer is here to help. Visit www.pinkdeerllc.com for more info.